Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You are welcome. You're welcome. You know, I want to. I want to start off uh, this week's podcast. This week's exciting baseball-oriented podcast. Um, you know, last week uh, we specifically, I, I believe we were pretty specific about this. Specifically, told people we didn't care if they rated this show that's right we're pretty clear about that but because there are readers apparently some people rated it anyway and which i would not know except for somebody sent me sent me one of the ratings and uh and i believe it should now be the slogan of the podcast you know i mean it's something i think we've been looking for a slogan um we, we haven't but but this this feels to me Ed Fett uh uh did, put this in his rating and and i think this should be the slogan Lowest information density of any podcast going today. <laughs> I, I, I think Ed could not have nailed that any better. Would you? Would you agree? Well, you know what's you know what's interesting about that is there is some information sure. in the podcast. It's just that the podcast is so long <laughs> that the density ends up being almost nil. It's like, it's a small amount of information stretched out essentially to infinity. Exactly. So the, den- the, the key there is density. It's <laughs> the because perfect the, word. Yeah. It's not, it's not the low. It's like, a, it's basically like, um, it's like that year that Joe Carter had a hundred RBIs, <laughs> but he had like a, like a negative war or like Hanley Ramirez this year. You know, has like had twenty three home runs and like I don't know eighty RBIs, but he had a negative offensive WAR because he he just he hit fourth all year and was kind of terrible. So that's that's the key to that remark is it's not there's no information. Right. It's that right. the density of the information is essentially nil. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's 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 fair. I think it's fair because of that. I think we we probably if we did this podcast if this podcast lasted I don't know what do you say two and a half minutes. Yeah. We would have about average information density for No, for- I think it would be very high density oh, okay. if it were two and a half minutes. I think if it lasted twenty three minutes. minutes or something, it would have it would have like average, average density. density. I think and instead it lasts like eighty four <laughs> minutes and the density is at a like a microscope. it's a basically one atom thick of density spread out over twenty over eighty three minutes. Well, well well done, Ed. Well done. I think we have our, our uh our thing. All right, so uh I, 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 this bothers me that it's our last one, but it is time for our last Tommy Fam update. It's the Tommy Fam update. How did our guy? How did our guy Tommy Fam do? As the world's I'll, biggest fam is, I'll tell you how Tommy Fam did. Tommy Fam had a 300, 400, 500 oh, season. That's oh. how Tommy Fam did. It's it was very exciting. It wasn't actually from the time we really started tracking it. I don't. I think he basically went over every line and stayed there. He never dipped down, or he did in the last like two weeks or three weeks of the season. He never dipped below any of those numbers. He had a very he closed strong. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he. I I I tweeted this the other day uh, after the final game. I was waiting. He didn't play in the final game, and uh, I was waiting until I waited until like the eighth or ninth inning. To make sure that he didn't pinch hit <laughs> and somehow go over eight in one uh, pinch hit appearance, but three oh six four eleven five twenty. That's it. It's, he had a three hundred four hundred five hundred season. 
Uh, I tweeted out a gif of uh, fireworks. Yes. And, and uh, it's very exciting. As newly minted fam, as, uh, it was very exciting. I'm, and he didn't he didn't quite get to the 25-25 season. I think he had 25 stolen bases, but only yes. 23 homers, right? I think he ended at 23. Um, but, I mean, now, here's the thing. Here's the real question. Do we track Tommy Pham uh, throughout the entire 2018 season and see if he can repeat? Well, I think we do, it's, right? Well, it's an interesting question because I, I, I have thought about this. As Pham is, um, we, we certainly will have to track Tommy Pham. That said, I think that now he's done 300, 400, 500, which is obviously the – we'd like to call that the podcast stat. I think that is the stat of the podcast. Sure. Uh, we need somebody else to we need we need to we need to follow somebody else right. on, the, on, yeah. on that journey. Yeah. I think we just have to follow Tommy Pham uh just because he he will always be a, a, a powerful member of the podcast okay. family. Here's what I'm gonna suggest. I'm gonna suggest that hitting three hundred, four hundred, five hundred for a season is now called the fam. <laughs> Ooh. That's that's a fam. That's a if fam. You, if, if you achieve that, it's like congratulations, you you've achieved a fam. Right. And now this. we go, we pick on. So basically, Tommy Pham ascends into the into the sort of like uh, all timer sort of Hall of Fame sure. of of the podcast. And we find another person and we see if that person can fam. Exactly. Maybe we maybe what we do is we each pick one guy before the season who we think can fam this <laughs> in the 2018 season. And then we each track that player's progress towards a possible fam. Well, I, I, I really, I, I think we, we talked about this a little bit. I, I like us picking one podcast. Oh, fam. just one for, okay. Yeah. Not one each, just one. one. Because I think, I think, you know, we, we need to root together. Uh, we need to put, put the, the power of the podcast behind people. I know that was a big part of Tommy fam's success. Unquestionably. Um, yeah. I think it, I gave him the sort of, um, the, the extra drive that he sure, needed. Sure. No question. Wanting to being completely unaware of us or this idea or any of this, I think was, was very important for him. Um, but yeah, I, I love the idea. We call it is the fam. So it's, and it's the, fa- it's, it's a double thing. It's the verb fam. So if somebody hits 300, 400, 500, they have fammed. We are hoping right. for someone to fam, but it's also the noun. I think, I think the, the 300, 400, 500 achievement is a fam. I think that's how we how we go. With I it. think that's right. So so for the record, here are the players who fam this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey Votto, of course. Of course. Joey Votto is going to fam every year, every year, basically. Every year. There's no way. Uh, Mike Trout fammed. 306, 442, 629. Now, how that's many, how many times is... Ridiculous season. Ridiculous. How many times has he fammed in his career? Trout? Yeah. Uh, let's find out here. Trout, in his career... He was. Uh, I would imagine average would be the one thing that would. would you know, he missed. It. Okay, so 2012, he missed it by one OBP point. Oh wow. 326, 399, 564. Okay. Uh, 2013, he did it. 323, 432, 557. Okay. 2014, he didn't. He missed it on both average and OBP. Wow. Oh, 2015, he missed it by one batting average point. One. 299, 402, 590. You can't get closer. That that is a that's crazy. So he's missed. He's missed two fams by one point, once uh, uh, OBP and once batting average. That is crazy. That is crazy. One hit in one extra hit in either season, and he uh, he has a fa- he has he's fammed every year because he did it in 2016. He did it in 2017. What a what a player! What a player! Who, yeah, he's who, a monster. Who, he's an absolute uh, ridiculous monster. Who else fammed? Um, in 2017. Okay, so Aaron Judge did not. He missed it on average. Yes. Justin Turner did. 
Justin, good for you, Justin Turner. Good for you, Justin Turner. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done. Uh, Tommy Pham, of course. There we go. Uh, Altuve did. Altuve obviously, fan. Chris Bryant did not. Missed it by five batting average points. Wow. Uh, Goldie did not. Missed it by three right. batting average points. His batting points. average dropped a little bit at the end of the year, I noticed. Yeah. I mean, it still but, was a but, sick year, by the way. For, but for to, So here, just Goldie's year, just so you know. Uh, out there if you're not watching Paul Goldschmidt play baseball. 297, 404, 563, 36 homers, 120 RBIs, 18 stolen bases. He can run the bases, this guy. Uh, and he walked 94 times. What a player. What He's a stud. the best. What a stud. Uh, Anthony Rendon, fam. Yes, yes. 301, 403, 533. Good for him. Good for him. Uh, Freddie Freeman playing in a brand new ballpark that has built uh, Atlanta Cobb County uh, residents out of hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars <laughs> in which in a city in which no one really cares and no one's watching them play well, with, with a general manager who apparently plays by no rules. So it's, that's right. Who <laughs> resigned in disgrace without, by the way, no one even noticed because no one cares about that team. Uh, <laughs> uh, Freddie Freeman, fam, three zero seven four zero three five eighty six. In, in a, a very player. limited year, though, he did he did get hurt, and missed missed much of the year. He what, did, what but he player. only had four fewer at bats than Tommy Fam, so we can't hold that against him. Wow. By the way, and he only had thirteen fewer at bats than Justin Turner, and he had thirty eight more at bats than Mike Trout. So he actually played more than I thought. I actually thought he played missed more a than, he thought, more than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. No, he had thirty five doubles. He had twenty eight homers. He uh, He's he, 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 he played really a is. legit year. Uh, here's one who, here's one who came close. Buster Posey, again, very quietly for the worst team in baseball, uh, came, he, he had three twenty four hundred, but he only slugged four sixty two. That guy continues to just be great. That's a hall of fame baseball player out there in San Francisco. Absolutely. Absolute hall of famer. I, I, um, I got a little bit of an argument with some people, uh, about that, which I don't know. I don't know what's there to argue about. Like what, what doesn't he do that a hall of famer does? I mean, he's, he's a, great you know hitter he's a great defensive player he hits with power he's a leader he's all the all those one things world that, series he's one, done the boring stupid things that nobody that shouldn't matter but do right right <laughs> but i mean it's it's amazing that uh, that anybody would even think that he's not a hall of famer but anyway yeah. well it's it is early enough in his career that i think that'll go away as he keeps doing this. yeah i agree he'll start he'll he'll start achieving various milestones and right. it'll go away right charlie blackman missed by one obp point Wow. Well, 331-399-601. Did you notice the other day uh, the great Tom Boswell, who, who is a uh, uh, baseball writer in Washington, love, uh, and, and I mean that sincerely, I, Tom Boswell is a huge influence on my life and a, and a terrific baseball writer. Uh, however, don't always agree with Tom Boswell. Tom Boswell tweeted out the other day uh, that the real batting champion uh, is Daniel Murphy because uh, Charlie Blackman, like the other 11 uh, Rockies who have won uh, bad right. titles don't count. They just, right. they don't count in Colorado. That seems harsh to me. <laughs> <laughs> seems like it's, it's might be entirely writing off a team that already, by the way, could not get ignored more. Right. I mean, I don't think there's a team more ignored in baseball than the Rockies. Right. I mean, the, the, I think that's right. Yeah. You know, so that, I don't know. Just seemed although the Braves, the Braves might be more ignored. (laughs) (laughs) That that's true. Charlie Blackman, a fantastic year, and and we're going to have to come to grips at some point with Coors Field. I mean, it's yes, it is unquestionably an advantage for hitters. It's it's a great hitters ballpark. We know that, but I mean, these guys are just getting written off. 
just written well, off. And, but by the way, you know, they, because of the way Coors opened in its first like five or six years where it was just home run, home run, home run, home run forever. Right. Uh, people have totally missed the fact that Bank One Ballpark in Arizona is yes. every bit the hitter's park, if not more so. It's a crazy the, hitter's park. Yeah, it's a crazy hitter's park. And those guys, I mean, there's a reason. If J.D. Martinez, as good a year as he had, if he got traded to the uh, Phillies or something midway through the year, does he have the same second half i don't think so he he like that he benefited from his home ballpark and it every bit the way that charlie blackman benefited from his home ballpark uh i i mean you know it's not the only great hitters stadium but these stadiums get the reputation of their first few seasons and there was those reputations just stick and obviously colorado is still a great hitters park but it's it's not uh, you know fenway is like one of the great pitchers parks in baseball right now and nobody knows it nobody we we, (laughs) actually exchanged uh texts on this uh fenway park has become a pure pitcher's park i mean it really has i mean it absolutely suppresses offense it suppresses offense and when i was uh you know when i was growing up when you were growing up fenway was one of the best hitters parks in the game and yeah you know i know part of it is the way they rebuilt it and the wind you know how it shifted or whatever um but that has been completely, you know, part of the reason that the Red Sox offense has been so uh, down this year, you know, especially in pure numbers, you look at those guys, it's all Fenway. I mean, every yeah. one of those guys on the road has much, much better numbers. You know, we talk about uh, Mookie Betts or Benintendi or Bradley or any of those guys, way better on the road than at home. Um, that ballpark has become a pitcher's ballpark. Yeah, th- they go to Baltimore and just crush the ball, and they come home and they it's like three to one every game. It's <laughs> um, crazy. All right, so here's my early here's my an early suggestion for next year's fam challenge. Sure, Zach Cozart. Ooh. Zach Cozart, a great player on an also-ignored team that no one knows about. I mean, he was the starting shortstop in the uh, uh, for the NL in the All-Star game last year, but no one knows about him. This year's stats, check this out, 297, 385, 548. So wow. he was right there, and he only had 438 at-bats. He, was, he missed a, a chunk of the year. But he would be an early contender, I would say, for a, for the for the podcast fam challenge. He has a chance. He has a yeah. chance next year. I mean, a, a lot will depend. I mean, he is, I believe, a free agent, and a lot will depend where he ends up. I mean, that ballpark. You know, speaking of good hitters, ballparks. Uh, sure, that's one. So, um, yeah, I'll have to put my. I'll have to. I'll have to think about it. I'll have to think about uh, who who we can nominate for fams. But we have so much to discuss about this year's postseason. Yes. Um, However, before we do that, we have to do our Browns check-in. Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. How are they doing? Well, I'm just going to put this to you. I'm going to just put this to you. And this is, this is, this is, uh, I, I think there are a lot of people, nobody else is doing this, but but I'm going to say a lot of people are, are, are wondering, with the Browns 0-4 and coming off of, what I would have to call a disastrous performance against the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. Can we still count on your support as Browns fan? No, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> uh, I was out so fast. Um, I, I, I didn't, again, I'm not following the NFL really. Right. Uh, and I was at my, my son had a baseball game. He had a double header and uh, I was out at, in uh, pretty far away from my house at this double header and I, uh, between the two games, one game was at like a 10 and then the other game was at two. Sure. So between sure. the two games, we went out, we got the kids some food. We came back to the field. I was like, oh, I'll check the NFL scores. And I saw what had happened to the Browns. And my immediate 
instant and complete thought was, oh, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even, I didn't, I felt no guilt. I felt no sadness. I felt no shame. I don't care about anyone's response to this. I have no loyalty to the concept of trying out Brown's fandom for a year. It instantly was shed from my skin like a lizard in the hot sun. <laughs> I, was, I was immediately out, and, uh, and, I feel, and I feel zero shame about zero it. Zero guilt, zero shame. Yeah. I, look, I'm, I'm, what am I going to say? I, I, can't, I can't blame you for that. If I could be out, I would be out. I mean, it's just, right. it's, it's, uh, you, you don't take on the Browns, right? They, you, they are thrown and dumped on your head, and, and you have, that's how you get them. You don't, right, you're born into a disgusting <laughs> soup of Browns fandom. And then it just remains, it sort of seeps into you, right? And then there's nothing you could do. But yeah, I mean, like that old phrase, some men uh, are born great and some have greatness thrust upon them. Some men have have Brown's fandom thrust upon them. And then other men and He's women have the choice to not be Brown's fans. And they <laughs> always should make, that, should make that choice. So what am I doing? I mean, this is insane. I just, I immediately realized how insane it was that I would ever do this and how unpleasant, like there's enough unpleasantness. I think we can all agree in the world to where if you don't actively choose to make your life more unpleasant, I then, then of course, why would you, you don't have to, if I don't have to do this, I'm not going to, if I had to, if there were some kind of stakes to it, if my life depended on it or the lives of people I loved depended on it, or there were some good in the world. In other words, if there were, let's say, a crazy eccentric billionaire right. said, I will give a billion dollars to easing famine in, in West Africa if you sincerely root for the Browns for a year. Of yeah. course I would do it. Sure. I would actively, sure. I, would, I would buy a, 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 I don't know, a vintage, uh, you know, Ernest Biner jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and, I would, and I would buy a bunch of books on the Browns and I would go fly to Cleveland and I would see a game live within the in the dog pound or whatever. But uh, no, uh, absent that eccentric billionaire and that wager, forget it. There's no chance I'm doing this. <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm glad it took you all of four weeks to to determine that. And and I think I think that the 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 lesson uh, that can be taken from this is that from outside the Browns bubble, you look into the Browns bubble and you go, oh, that's miserable. That's like a miserable experience being a Browns fan that's I mean they're terrible they'll always be terrible they'll never be good they're they they're they're stupid they make dumb decisions they keep looking like they're gonna be smarter and they never are smarter and so on and so forth but when you're in the bubble when you're actually inside even even with one foot in to the bubble you realize it's so much worse it's so much worse yeah. than anybody outside the bubble can fully appreciate uh, so I, I can't, I can't blame you. I look this, this past week, I mean, as, as a, as a, a, someone who, who cannot, uh, get rid of the Browns thing, no matter what I do. Um, last week was as dispiriting a week as I can remember, not because the Browns lost, uh, because that's, I mean, you, you get used to that. I mean, I mean, Hugh, uh, head coach, uh, is uh, one in 19 now he's <laughs> one and 19 and here's the thing he's one and 19 and nobody wants him fired and right, people like, like him yeah yeah people are like you know dude i'm I, i'm with you man I, I i know what you're going through um so so you know they're gonna lose i mean you, you feel that uh it's not even that they lost to a Bengals team that's really 
not good and and was 0-3 coming in. And and this was we, – we talked about last week. This was one of two games, like, in a row that they actually had, like, a reasonable chance of winning. Right. Uh, it wasn't even that they never were in the game at any point. Even all of those things uh, aside, it was that I looked around and I went – this team has no talent, none. So everything it's like it's like you're staying in place. Like if you're if you're a Minnesota Twins fan, over the last few years it's been rough. But you've looked to yourself and you've thought, okay, well you've got you've got Byron Buxton coming, you got Miguel Sano coming, you got Barrios coming, you got some some talent, and assuming those guys end up being pretty good then we could take the next step and then we could take the next step and the next step. And then those guys came up and there were some struggles uh, and, and you know, you never knew what was going to happen, but then eventually those guys got good and you could see the team getting better. This team is like in perpetual awfulness. So all of the things they went into this year's draft needing, they go into next year's draft also needing. And it was also the same stuff they needed two years ago's draft and three years ago's draft. Like nothing ever changes within the confines of the Browns. So it, the depressing part is not that they keep losing. The depressing part is you're going, what? Now I have to listen to all of those. Well, they've got high draft picks. They've got it. They've got all these things that will make no difference whatsoever. Cause it never ever changes. Yeah. Play. It doesn't even seem to get to mediocrity. That's what's, right. that's what's shocking right. in a sport where, Basically, every team spends the same amount of money or can spend the same amount of money because every team is sharing a gigantic chunk of revenue. Right. They never even seem to get into the 7 and 9 range. No. They're Not always the in time. the 2 and 14 range, no matter what they do. It's like, it's very, I mean, it's, it's... It's hard to do. It's hard to do. That's right. It's as hard to do in some ways as it is to be, you know, the Steelers or the Patriots or the Packers where you're 12 right. and 4 every year. But, right. Yeah, it, it's very it's very interesting, and I don't know. It, it, someone someone knows why, right? Someone has the answer. It's like a it's it's just terrible draft choice. I mean, you've written about them extensively. You follow them extensively. I don't want to really get into it too much, but is it just top to bottom mismanagement over twenty years? I, now? You know what it is. I mean, for a long time, it was the change, and I think that's really why, honestly, nobody really wants to see them fire the coach, fire the GM, all that because change they've every time they've they've gotten anything i wouldn't even say going i mean anytime they've gotten any like sense of stability at least somebody gets fired and and they just change everything i'm look they they got rid of their defensive coordinator last year and they brought in greg williams uh to be defensive coordinator this year and i thought okay well you know greg williams is a proven defensive coordinator he called the worst defensive game i've ever seen against the Bengals ever i've never seen there was a play in that game uh, where the Browns, it was late in the in the first half, and the Browns were you know beginning to fall apart, and they decided to blitz everybody at uh, at at uh, uh, the Bengals uh, quarterback, and uh, he just threw a little screen pass, and the running back ran like sixty five yards untouched yeah. for a touchdown, and it was one of those plays where like. If I was defensive coordinator, that's what would happen. Like, I'd be like, how many guys can I blitz? Can I send all those guys after the quarterback? Like, I would, oh, well, if you do that, that's what that happens. It was, you know, the, the chess analogy gets used uh, often. But there is a great thing about chess where, 
you'll like look over the board and you'll be thinking, okay, what? Well, and then you'll move your queen and you, you've got like, you're thinking a couple moves ahead. You're like, oh, I, if I do this, my queen is, is going to be, and you move the queen to a spot and then the queen gets taken because you didn't see the knight there that was like going, you know, going to take it. That's what it was like. That's exa- It was like, oh, they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to actually throw like a little screen pass. And I thought this, this team is, is, it's disastrous. It's just disastrous. And I, I emailed you, I texted you immediately and said, so how's it going? And you're like, I'm out. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't like I there was nothing I could say like, Oh, Hey, you promised to be in this thing for a year. However, the, the, the music is too good. The Browns check-in will continue. Great. Um, but, but you're going to, you're going to have to just kind of pretend like you care. Or I'll just, the Browns check in every week for the rest of the season will be still out. I'm still out. <laughs> <laughs> what if you win a couple? Would you like slide back in? No, would you no, possibly? No, no, you're no. I, And in fact, I don't think that I would be in if they made the playoffs. Like I, because <laughs> I, I have to say like that not following There's the NFL. enjoyable about it, right? Well, not following the NFL in general has made me, I think, happier on balance. Yeah. I miss it a little bit because I, because I, I've followed the sport since I was a kid. And uh, and there is a certain sort of sense of like a certain loss in my life. However, I uh, when you go online after a week after a week of football, you know, the top 207 articles on ESPN.com are different various players who have had various injuries and are out for various numbers of weeks. And it really like once your once the scales fall from your eyes about what's really happening in this sport, it, it starts to just seem abhorrent. Like, at least it has to me. It's just like, you know, Derek Carr is out six weeks with a broken bone in his back. I mean, for God's sakes, what are we doing? And one of the offensive linemen on the Seahawks has a bruised heart. Did you see that one? Yes. He bruised I his it, heart. I mean, it's not okay. This is this sport is not okay. It's really, well, like, uh, it's really terrifying what is actually, ha- what these guys' bodies go through week after week and it it really like the I it's not like I didn't know it before I was just choosing to ignore it I was choosing to be okay with it because I love the game but now that I've sort of like taken a step back from actively watching the game the injuries are just so awful well well, think about this I mean think about there's something I was thinking about watching the Browns and and you know that's it I literally I've, I've said before and I continue to say I will not watch another minute of football I'm not even I don't even consider the Browns football which of course is right because they're not um <laughs> But that's the Browns is a purely connecting to my childhood thing. That's that's all it is. I don't care about the rest of the NFL and, and not watching it. Don't care about college football. But in watching the Browns uh, on Sunday, this this struck me. You know, there were three or four, as there always are in every game, uh, moments where somebody's on the field, like you know, in agony, uh, and it's just like, oh, let's take a timeout, and they go to a commercial, and you know, this has become so normal in our lives. That, you know, you realize that that they go to commercials at the end of, you know, series, at the end of quarters, uh, when a team scores and when a guy gets hurt. That's those are the four general times that they go to to commercials. And I thought, that's not okay. That's not okay that they're like, yeah, um, you know, we have to we, we we have to stop games four or five times every game because guys are getting hurt on the field. Uh, some very severely, some you're like, hey, that guy walked off, good for him, you know. And 
that's not okay. That that shouldn't we shouldn't be watching and enjoying and loving a sport where like these guys are literally dying in front of our very eyes. That doesn't seem yeah, right. Yeah, and the, and it starts to seem really sinister. Not to get too dark here, but it starts to seem really sinister when it's like these guys get hurt, and it's like, well, we'll take a short break, and then you go right. away to commercial, and in that time, like, and people run out and put an air cast on like a snapped ankle and cart the guy away, and you cut back to the field just as the guy's disappearing. He's like waving to the audience and giving a thumbs up. And then, like, that guy's career is over. Like, he'll never play football again. And you're just, okay, now it's second and three. And second we go, three. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, we didn't, you didn't watch them take that little broom and just sweep him off the field. Yeah. That's fine. And, and the other thing that I like is when they go, eh, his return is His return is questionable. And then, and then later it's like, he's been downgraded to doubtful. <laughs> doubtful, doubtful. Oh, he's out for the rest of yeah. the year. Actually, uh, he's he oh, actually he's twenty six and his career's over. Yeah, his career's over. Exactly. All right, third down and four. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it's just... oh. all right. Well, we'll continue this Browns uh, fiasco uh, next week. Great. Uh, but let's 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 talk baseball playoffs. And here's the big problem of what we're doing. This we are doing this uh, right around noon Eastern time on Tuesday, which means we don't know. By the time you you listen to this, you'll know who won that Twins Yankees oh, game. Come we on. know who's going. Oh, no, no, we know, we know who's going. We don't know who won the Twins Yankees game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do a recap of the Twins Yankees game, even though the game does not start for another eight hours. Let's do a little recap. Great. Um, um, so in the top of the first, Severino yes. strikes out the first two guys he faces. And the third guy uh, pops out foul to first. Uh, Severino <laughs> threw 11 pitches and nine of them were strikes. 11 pitches, right? yep, yep. In the bottom of the first, yep. Santana gets uh, gets Gardner on a ground out. Uh, and you're like, hey, how about that? Leadoff runner, not on board. The next four guys on the first or second pitch of the at-bat get hits. It goes, it goes double, single, single, home run. The home run is like Gregorius or someone, someone not Aaron Judge. Uh, so it's three. It's like three nothing. Three nothing after the first. Three nothing, which was you know. Three, that, let's say let's say three nothing. So let's say four guys get hits, but the last, the third one is the home run. The fourth one is a double. Okay. Santana. So it's like three nothing. Then nobody okay. scores in the second. The Twins go down in order. Ooh. Uh, or maybe they twins. The, there's one walk, or there's like a there's like an error. Twins, a twins guy gets to second on a wild on a, on pass, a pass ball, ball by he Sanchez. Gets to yeah, on a pass ball. and the yeah. announcers are yeah. saying like, you know, that's been a problem for Sanchez this year. Pass balls that could be a factor in the game. That won't be a factor in the game. That will not be a factor in the game. And he will homer in the seventh. <laughs> the t- by the way, <laughs> the Twins get out of the Twins get uh, uh, retired in the second. No, the Yankees don't score in the bottom of the second. Yeah, and it's like, oh, Santana settled down. Good for him. Santana okay. settled down. Three nothing going to the third. In the third, the leadoff runner is aboard on a clean single. And you're like, oh, look at this. The Twins making some noise. Leadoff runner on. Making some noise. Immediate double play and then a strikeout. By the way, Severino has thrown 29 pitches through three innings. That's the part of the key here. 29 pitches, but just pounding the strike zone. Unafraid, right. utterly unafraid of any of the Twins hitters. Sure. In the bottom of the third inning, the Yankees score three more runs and knock him out of the game. I was going to say four. Okay. I think four, say four. Maybe they score three off of him. They, he gets pulled out, and then they score another run off the Okay, so, right. So, the, right. So, Santana. So, it, it goes like single home run, double, uh, double. So, it's 6 right. nothing. They pull Santana. The next hitter uh, is, who, it's like uh, Torres or somebody. He singles right. to right. 
that run scores. It's charged to Santana. Santana gets charged with seven runs in whatever it is, two, two, two and two thirds, uh, and it's seven nothing. Now here's now here's the key. This is the key. Okay, the key now is from this point on. After three innings, it's seven nothing Yankees. The key is the Twins chip away, and when I say they chip <laughs> away, I mean they score one run in the fifth. And they score one yes. run in the sixth, and you're like, "Well, it's seven to sure. two after six. It's still a safe lead, but it's seven to two. They also in the sixth inning they have runners at second and third and one out. So it's seven right. to two, second and third, one out, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, a double into the corner makes it seven four, and then a home run makes sure. it seven six, and this is a whole new ball game. And that Twins bullpen, and by the time you finish that thought, they're out of the <laughs> inning. David Robertson has come in and shut down, snuffed out the inning completely. So it's 7-2 after 6. But you're still thinking to yourself, if you're a Twins fan or a Yankee hater, hey, you know, it's not impossible. Crazier things have happened. Not impossible. Five runs, absolutely. In the bottom of the seventh... Okay, so the top of the seventh inning happens. In the middle of the seventh inning, they they sing... uh, They do the seventh inning stretch. They sing God Bless America. They sing the national anthem again. Then they sing God Bless America again. Because no one no one can be more patriotic than the Yankees. That's a what that's a rule. That's an actual major league baseball rule. They sing God Bless America twice and the national anthem. They sing America the Beautiful. Then an opera right. singer comes out and sings uh, an aria from uh, from uh, like Don Giovanni. Then <laughs> then uh, they sing Cotton Eye Joe and the and the Twins pitcher who's been ready for an hour is just sta- right. standing there awkwardly like waiting. His arm is slowly his arm muscles are just congealing. <laughs> In the so the, there's a there's a 41 minute delay in the middle of the seventh inning, and then there's a flyover. There's a there's a military jet flyover, and then sure, there's a, there's sure. four uh, helicopters flyover, and a guy parachutes down, and four active uh, army rangers come out onto the field, and they do the color guard again. They wave the flag, right. then they sing. They bring the big flag. They sing God bless America, again. Right. Then. Uh, the, then there's a, uh, uh, there's a two and a half minute moment of silence and it's unclear what it's even for. It's just a moment of silence just for everything, for every, everything that's ever happened. There's a moment of silence. Then in right. the, the so then there's, there's a 41 minute delay in the middle of the seventh inning at Yankee stadium in the bottom of the seventh inning, the twins pitcher's arm is so stiff. He met, he tops out at 71. He can't throw faster than 71 miles an hour. The Yankees score four more runs. The final blow is a Gary Sanchez home run, like you said, three making home. up making up for home. his uh, pass ball in the second inning. Yes. Uh, yes, it's eleven to two. Then here's the last key in the bottom, in the top of the ninth. The Twins scrape together two runs off of like a guy who wasn't even on the Yankees' twenty-five uh, man roster. Somehow, it, when it, but it was eleven to two. He brought somebody in from the yes. crowd. Well, it was a guy. It was a WFAN. Uh, fan listener who won a contest to be to pitch in a really live Yankees game. He was the thirteenth caller, and he and his prize was he got to pitch in a Yankees uh, playoff game. And he comes out and he gives up two runs on like a bloop single, a uh, two walks and a bloop single, uh, and uh, and then he retires the the uh, Twins and the final score is eleven to four. Eleven yeah. to four. I think that's right. Well, of course. I mean, I'm glad that you did that, but. By the time this this happens, people will have already seen it. So we're we're just we're just recapping, just recapping what, what people has happened. Are, yeah, I'm not. This is what has already happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's not a prediction at all. All right, so the Yankees then play Cleveland and uh, Boston plays Houston. Uh, both, I think, very interesting uh, series. 
What do you like? I, I, uh, all joking aside, I think okay. Cleveland can beat the Yankees. I think their pitching is so good. They don't have, the, it's the first team I've ever seen, I think, maybe, that doesn't seem to have a weakness. You can't, what is the weakness right. on the, on the Indians? There's they, no weakness. Their That's starting right. pitching is great. Their bullpen is great. They hit for average. They hit for power. They're patient. Uh, they, they play, great they play incredible defense. defense. They Their infield defense is great. Their outfield defense isn't the best I've ever seen, but it's pretty good. It's uh, good. Austin Jackson is a, is a maniac. Um, I think the I, I can't imagine. I mean, obviously, now having said that, the Yankees are going to sweep them. But uh, <laughs> I well, here's here's the thing, honestly, and this is this is this is now trying to be sort of faux analytical. Um, that Yankees bullpen is yeah. insane. I, I mean, it's going to come down to Cleveland if you know trying to beat that team. Scoring early. I mean, I think the weakness of that Yankees team, and it hasn't been as big a weakness as I thought it would be, uh, is the rotation. Obviously, they're using Severino in the in the in the uh, in the um, game, which, I, by the way, was a. I, I mean, that's a little bit of a controversial move to me to use Severino. Obviously, you want to get out of that game, but on the other hand, if you're trying to win, you know, if you have bigger ideas in mind, I think maybe you go with Sonny Gray or somebody like that. Um, in, in the hopes of, of actually, uh, you know, advancing a little further. But regardless, I think their starting pitching is, you know, shaky enough that Cleveland could score early. I don't – who's going to score against that Yankees I don't know. They've got four. I mean, they've got four legitimate closers. I mean – Four legitimate closers, all throwing harder than the yeah. other guy. I mean, that's – that to me is – and look, and Cleveland does too. I mean, Cleveland has a great bullpen with great, you know, great arms out there. Uh, and their starting pitching is way better, I think. And and their offense is better. I mean, they're better than the Yankees. Yeah. But, but you know, I mean, we saw Kansas City basically do it with a bullpen. I mean, this yeah. is – it's that that's time why of the year. Yankees you know, are, That's why the Yankees are scary. The Yankees are scary because that's their right. innings their, – their games uh, are five innings long. If you don't – if you're not ahead after five innings, the chances of you winning are very slight. Um, by the way, right. I have to disagree with you on Severino. Severino has been their best pitcher by far. He's been a top ten pitcher in the league the whole year, and no, that's I know. But, I, but my point screaming. is that not using him in this game, you are running the risk of being Buck Showalter, leaving that's Zach true. Britton in your bullpen, and saying like, "Well, I was saving him for down the line." When it's like, "Yeah, but if you don't get out of this moment first, you don't." There is no. Down no that's the line. right. You're you're right. I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is, if you're the Yankees and you're going, look. This year is is totally it's we're we're playing with house money. I mean, nobody thought this Yankees team was it was going to happen this fast. Uh, I realize that's tougher to say in New York, but still, if you were doing that, you were going okay. Look, we we might have a little miracle on our hands here. Um, I think what you do then is you say okay, I I know this is risky, but we think we can beat the Twins without Severino, and then I got Severino in Game One. I mean, that's I'm not saying that that they would get crucified if they lose that game but that's that's to me that's the that's the bold move in my mind it's the- it's tempting yeah it's it's definitely tempting and it's tempting because the Yankees starters have been great in September CC right. Sabathia somehow, somehow has been unhittable he he's just like <laughs> pitching better than he's, he can't, he can't throw a pitch faster than 90 miles an hour and he's absolutely he's you you pointed this out He's getting some of the weakest contact of any pitcher, starting pitcher in the league. In the league, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And then also Jordan Montgomery has somehow been really good. 
and uh, you know uh, what's his name? Tanaka's been Tanaka. good recently. He's yeah. had a couple good starts. The problem is, is like it's it might be a little deceptive. They might be have they faced a bunch of mediocre teams. They faced you know Tampa Bay and. Toronto and you know teams that can hit but aren't they weren't really playing for anything or kind of playing out the string in September it's a little bit deceptive and it makes it gives you a false sense of security sometimes because you're like wow everybody on our team's pitching great but everybody on your team doesn't pitch in that game one guy pitches in that game and so I think you just got to go with your best guy you go in descending order of goodness in in the playoffs and uh, and and deal with tomorrow tomorrow I don't I don't disagree with that as a concept. I really don't. I'm just saying it would have been a very bold move and a very, you know, I mean, it would have been a, hey, we're going for it kind of move to say we're starting Sonny Gray, who I think is, I mean, when they made the trade for Sonny Gray, they probably thought of him as the game one starter because Severino, as good as he was, he got better as, as the year went progressed. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that if you make that move, the problem is if you lose the game against Minnesota, uh, the the entire town just comes crashing down on your head, and all of the good things that you did this year are forgotten, and all of that. So I get it. I'm not. I'm not second guessing. I'm not. What I am saying is the bold, fascinating, exciting, interesting move would have been uh, pitch somebody else and start Severino in game one. You know. Yeah, and it also should be noted that like the Indians last year the Yankees have the ability to basically pitch a bullpen game if they needed to. They well, could have right. started Sonny Gray and then said, okay, if Sonny Gray is knocked around after two innings, then you go Chad Green for two innings. Do you go Tommy Canley or whatever his name is? Canley? Canley? <laughs> uh, for an inning. And then Robertson. And then you have Batances. I mean, you could they could absolutely get nine innings out of their bullpen. And, not, and by the way, combined, those guys – are the uh, if you pitch them all for for an inning and a third or two innings, they're the best starter in the league. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because oh, yeah. they, Chad Green, what, look up Chad Green's stats. It's very funny. Chad Green was a starter last year, and it was a reliever this year, and his stats last year are terrible, and his stats this year are absurd. Uh, he they have like they have four guys in their team who have like a point eight whip and strike out fourteen guys per That's nine innings. Insane. It's absurd. So I, I think you're right. This this is about to me. This series is about do the Yankees starters hold up, and do the and do the guys that the Yankees need to mash the ball, which are Judge Sanchez and a little bit Gregorius or Castro, one of those middle infielders. If those guys hit, then I think the Yankees can actually steal the series, which is a terrifying, terrifying thought. thought. Terrifying I'm re- thought. Obviously, rooting very hard for the Indians. Of and then in the other series, what do you think? I I have a very specific feeling about the Astros. Red Sox series, but tell me what you think first. I I really do think that the the Astros um, are, are the better team. I mean, I think the Astros are going to win that that uh, that series. But uh, but I would I would say it comes down to you know here's the thing about that series, and and we kind of just mentioned this a little bit earlier. Both of those ballparks, and nobody thought this about either one of them. Both those ballparks had reputations as being big hitters parks. Uh, Boston forever had that reputation. Houston, you know, in the early years, that you know, Minute Maid Park thing, uh, was was a, seemed like it was a real hitters park. They're both extreme pitchers parks now. Extreme pitchers yeah. parks. So I think this is a low scoring series, which I do think helps the Red Sox quite a bit uh, because I think that Red Sox offense, uh, you know, has been shaky, obviously, but. Well, um, I'm still worried about that that Astros rotation. I I just don't I don't know that I trust any of them. Uh, you know when it comes to any <laughs> any 
any one of those guys could be great on any given day. Obviously, Keuchel uh, can be great and, and was very, very good for much of the year. Uh, Peacock can be really good. Uh, McCullers, uh, you know, struggled really late, but but was so good early. I mean, any of those guys can be good, but to me, none of those guys scare me. First of all, it's it was Enron Field at the beginning. Let's not forget. Oh, that's right. R.I.P. R.I.P. Enron Field. <laughs> Um, second of all, uh, there is exactly one way that the Red Sox can win this series, okay. and that's if basically Chris Sale throws a shutout in game one, right? and then Drew Pomerantz throws a shutout in game two, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then and Edward, then... Eduardo Rodriguez pitches a shutout in game three, okay. and then Sale comes back on whatever it is, three or four days rest, and pitches a shutout in game four. They, the Red Sox cannot hit. They have no power at all they they are i i sent this thing to you the other day in terms it's of amazing uh yeah it's a great stat is it was it ops yeah it was OPS. team ops right i think yeah. team ops so in team ops the top nine slots in team ops are nine are the nine non-red sock playoff teams That's right. it's like in order it's in, in all of the yeah basically all of all nine of the top team ops teams are playoff teams the Red Sox were twenty second. Yes. <laughs> so, in terms of team OPS rank, it's one two. The play the ten playoff teams are one two three four five six seven eight nine twenty two. That's insane. Um, they they I mean they they had some bad luck. They lost Eduardo Nunez uh, late in the year. They lost Pedroia to a bunch of different uh, middling injuries. Uh, but like they've been deeply terrible. They had three guys in their regular lineup all year who had an OPS plus that was over 100, which means they had three guys on their entire team who had a better-than-league-average OPS. Every single other player on the team had, was a below-average hitter. I mean, that's insane. Their cleanup hitter, Hanley Ramirez, had a negative war. Negative war. Yeah, He's a cleanup hitter. And by the way, when he wasn't hitting cleanup, you know who was hitting cleanup? Mitch Moreland hit cleanup for this team. <laughs> I mean, they are... They, a better it's, choice. It probably was. It is really crazy how little power every single player on their team had a worse offensive year than he did last year, with a couple of exceptions. Those being Christian Vasquez, their backup catcher, who has become kind of their starting catcher, um, and Nunez, who wasn't on the team for most of the year. So, I mean, right. every even the guys who had decent years, Mookie Betts had a decent year, Benintendi had a decent year, they were both way worse, double-digit percentages worse than they were last year. So the I, I like this is this is about one thing only, which is can the Red Sox starters hold down the Astros offense? And I don't think they can. I don't see any way. This is a this is a dream matchup for the Astros because their biggest weakness is their pitching, their starting pitching specifically. And they are facing by far and away the worst offensive team in the playoffs in either league. I don't see how the Red Sox win the series. No, I mean that's that your point is right. I mean I think and I think that Astros offense is going to score on anybody, including, you know, and I think the Red Sox do have very, very obviously Chris Sales as good as it gets and their bullpen is very good. Um, but that Astros team can score on anybody. And uh yeah, I think it's an uphill. I mean I'm I'm I pick the Astros. I, I think that series is probably a little bit one sided, but you know, here's the thing about the Red Sox, and and you know this this is I want to move it on to the National League, but this is the thing about the Red Sox. Those guys are better than their numbers in my mind. I mean, I I could be wrong, but they're you know when we talk, I I talk a lot about this with Tom Tango, the idea of pure talent, not what your numbers say you are this year, even though that's a big cliche that you are what your numbers say, whatever. 
pure talent, Mookie Betts and 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 Bradley and Benintendi and these guys are good hitters. And and you know their numbers have not really reflected it this year, but I think they're good hitters. And so that's to me the hope. The hope is that those guys like their true selves show up uh, against uh, against Houston. But but I think that's I think Houston is the biggest favorite. Uh, in the playoffs, honestly, yeah. don't you yeah, think? They've I mean, the, the yeah, they've got to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. Except for the Yankees. League. Except for the Yankees over the Twins, <laughs> <laughs> which already happened, and we know the Twins it already happened, and it was eleven to four. And congratulations to the Yankees. All right, Washington and and uh, and the Cubs. Uh, man, I'm telling you what, Washington again. Here we we got another situation. I think Washington's better than the Cubs. And I think the Cubs could absolutely win that series. There's just yeah. no question about it, right? To me, this is the this is the most like pick'em of the of yes. the series, right? That the I mean, obviously now Scherzer's hamstring is acting up. Nobody knows if Bryce Harper is at full strength. Right. That those are if Scherzer is healthy and Bryce Harper is healthy. I think you say, all right, it's the Nationals' year. They, they're favored. They're 65, 35 favorites or something. The Cubs were a little bit inconsistent all year. They they peaked in the second half. They, they've definitely gotten they better did. as the year's gone on. But that, that rotation is still a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. And, yeah. and, and with Harper and Scherzer healthy, I think this is a no-brainer. You pick them. But now, now, no Scherzer game one. You know, no Harper maybe at full strength. Now, I this is a coin flip to me. I really it don't is. know. And and the Cubs also are feeling themselves a little bit. They're now like, hey, we just are winners. That's what we are. We won last year. We made we won the division again. Like we fought off a bunch of teams. We fought off the Brewers. We fought off the Cardinals. They just yep. they're getting used to this. And I think they're like, oh, I remember the playoffs. And that crowd is back. And they're all wearing Chicago Cubs World Champions 2016 gear. And I feel like they have a real good chance of winning, and, uh, yeah. and it's going to be a real bummer. That Washington team has been through a lot in the postseason. <laughs> they've really, they've really had bad luck, and they've had bad, and they've played badly. And it would be a real bummer for them if they lost again. But I think it might happen. I really think it might. I mean, again, talking about true value because I don't think Lester Ariadne. I mean, Lester pitched kind of miserably. I mean, he just he kind of was a disaster down the stretch. Uh, Arietta was way up and down all year. Hendricks and you know had you know played half a year, and uh, I mean they they had to go out and get Quintana. Lackey looks like he's at the end. I mean, there's no way that that rotation should be able to hold up against that Nationals uh, lineup. But you know if Harper's not healthy, and and you know you're right, there's they they play with a swagger, and yeah, I, I of course Nationals fans don't need. Uh, any reason to be scared out of their minds. I mean, the way Washington sports has gone the last 15, 20 years on all across the line, all their sports, uh, they know to panic. Um, but there might be a reason. There might be a good reason to panic. Uh, the Dodgers will play the winner of uh, Arizona, Colorado, which will probably be Arizona um, because they're playing at home. And I think they're a little better than the Rockies. But either way, Dodgers pretty Pretty clear favorites, right? I mean, maybe against Arizona, that's a scary matchup for them. I think Arizona, I think they're both a little bit scary because the Dodgers did the craziest thing that any team has ever done, which is got off to a record-setting pace through like 110 games and then lost 15 out of 16. And yes. six of those, I think, were to the Diamondbacks and like three of them at least were to the, to the Rockies. Uh, and I think that's got to be scaring them. Um, but 
you know, the the uh, the Diamondbacks are using Grinky in that game. Right. The Rockies right. don't are using Gray, I think, right? And they don't even really have another. They don't have one guy who scares you in the way that Grinky does. Not yet. Uh, I like their yet. young pitching. I like yeah, their young pitching. They're all good. I mean, these teams are good, but yeah. they're gonna go. They're gonna waste their best pitcher in that game. Their bullpens might get beaten up a little bit, depending I on what agree. happens. I agree. I don't. I. I feel like the Dodgers. Um. I feel like the the stupid narrative about Kershaw is going to end. He's too good. I they think he's gotten fluky bad luck in the in the past. I don't see any way that uh, that the Dodgers really lose. I mean, I, look, both of those teams can mash the ball. They have ridiculous right. lineups, and so anything's possible. But. The Dodgers pitching is just too good, even though it's been shaky recently. I feel like they they're going to be at home. They've got you know they've they're they've got their lineup back. Everybody's healthy. Seager's healthy. Bellinger's healthy. Justin Turner's healthy. They've got all they've got a lot of weapons, and I feel like they're going to win that series. I agree with you. Agree with you one hundred percent. And I could not possibly agree more on how much I want this Kershaw doesn't pitch well in the playoffs thing to end. I'd never ever want to hear that again. I hate that. Um, look, there's the only way to end it is for him to pitch well in the playoffs, right? I mean, that's, you know, this is it. I will say I was there in Dodger stadium that day against the Cardinals. And it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. He was pretty much, you know, Clayton Kershaw for the first five innings or whatever it was. He gave up six, right? Was it the seventh? Yeah, six innings. And then he gave up six of the hardest hit balls or whatever the number was in a row that I'd ever seen. I mean, he just gave up just rocket after rocket. And, you know, you remember they were talking about did he tip his pitches or whatever, but you know, it did happen. And his, his playoff numbers, much like Greg Maddox's playoff numbers, uh, you know, you can pick at him a little bit. I want that to end. He's a great pitcher. I don't believe for one minute that, that there was that, that pressure or anything like that had anything to do with why he didn't, you know, he just, he just, you know, great pitchers aren't always great. And, and, uh, I just want him to pitch fantastic. I just want that. Also, let's, let's all remember that he came in in relief and, and pitched brilliantly. Oh, he did. No, he's had good yeah. moments in the postseason too. And that, yeah, he's had, yeah, he's had great, he's had great stretches. And I, I just, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's like golfers who haven't won a right, major. It's like right. Mickelson isn't great because he's never won a major. It's that it's that stupid sports thing that we do where yeah, we uh, where we cherry pick tiny moments and use them to as a club to beat people over. That. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah. So I I love that guy and I I've come too. to really like this team because my jerk son betrayed me <laughs> and uh, became a fan of it. And I and I really want I do I want them to to make a real run. I want them to play in the World Series. I personally think. A Dodgers Indians or oh, Dodgers Astros World Series would be wonderful. wonderful. I think a, a both Dodgers Indians to me it has that old, it, they're both like old franchises. They they're like it's it's two really uh, it's the two the two best teams in baseball all year. Really, yeah. um, I feel like that's what I'm rooting for. And I feel like if the Astros and Indians meet, I, I like the Indians easily. And if the Dodgers and let's say Cubs or even Nationals, when I still like the Dodgers, I feel like. I'm predicting and rooting for Dodgers Indians. All right. Well, we'll we'll get to the uh, to the uh, next level um, next time. You know, right. after we figure out what's going on, uh, we have a little time left to do our uh, reader reader. I always call them readers. Listener <laughs> questions. We have some. Li- we have a bunch of listener questions. We have to get some music for the listener question thing. Um, but before we do that, Mike, do you have anything on your mind? <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
It's weird. Uh, we should get to these listener questions. We really should. But should. just if you'll indulge me, there's something that's been kind of rattling around my head for a little while now. I just do you mind if I just get it off my chest? You know what? Well, that's what we're here for. Let's go ahead and do that. Great. Let's just, just do real it. quick before we move on. I want to take a second to tell you about the Statcast podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a new show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game. Now, it's hosted by Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. And last week, they delved into the StatCast data to find some of the most intriguing potential batter-pitcher matchups of the upcoming postseason. To hear about those secret mismatches, download the show from Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching for StatCat Pod... Pod, I did it again. (laughs) By searching for StatCast Podcast or by going to StatCastPodcast.com. Anyway, well, that, that, that's what I was thinking about, and I thank you for indulging me and letting me well, just. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, you're you're not going to be perfect when you're just you're just. It's like you're coming. Just, it's just, just coming out of you know. I, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, going or by going to statcastpodcast.com is an absurd collection of words. It is. That's Statcast not com. <laughs> Say that four times fast. I dare you. Statcast podcast. No, that's too many casts in there. <laughs> There's just too many cats. Too many D's and T's and yeah, oh, it's just no, no, it doesn't do it. All right, time for listener questions. Um, very exciting. We we got a bunch of them, so let's let's try to hit as many of them as we can. Great. Uh, Abe Berman wants to know, and this is a good one: Is batting around nine or ten batters in an inning? I have a very uh, a hard and fast feeling about this. Me too. I actually do. I have a I very strong feeling. The, I wonder if it's the same. Well, find out. I find I would say that in order to say your team batted around, the tenth hitter has to come to the plate. Exactly right. There's right. no question in my mind. The Nine guy who started the inning has around. to. The guy who started the inning has to hit twice. That's right. That's right. If if you had a merry-go-round and it went all the way around, but like stopped like just before the beginning, right? Like it's not you didn't go all the way around. Great you analogy. I would also say that it, it batting one batting nine hitters should be called they 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 batted completely or something. But they didn't bat oh, around. That's right. That's you didn't right. come. That's you, right. you have to come back around. The tenth guy has to hit. It has to hit. I totally agree. That's Abe. I'm glad we could give you a decisive answer on this. It is ten batters. <laughs> you can take that to anybody you want. That's, that's it. right. That is. That's right. Tadjuferi. T a d h g t a d h g Tadjuferi. Sure. Was it O'Cheers or Frazier? Oh, come on. I know. That doesn't seem... That's that seems not, pretty easy. Come on. Fra- I mean, how low is Frazier on the list, by the way? I mean, look, Frazier was a great show. Frazier, yeah, uh, like, fun. Kelsey Grammer's a, a he's Hall a of Fame performer. Yeah, he's a like, he's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible he's a performer. He's first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's wonderful. And that, that show was incredibly well-made. But, uh, I mean, it's not. It's like, it's you're talking about, like, the, you're talking about, like, I mean, there's... A, I don't know that there's any spinoff, uh, really, that's as good, that's better than the original. But in this case, I mean, Cheers is Cheers is the greatest sitcom ever, in my opinion. Well, that's the thing. Look, Cheers is Hank Aaron, and and Frazier is like Jeff Bagwell. It's like he's all a famer. Yeah, but it's he's not Hank Aaron. Come on. I like all that. right, Kristen wants to know. So your wives listen to the podcast? Kristen. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, that's rich. Oh, good one, Kristen. All right. Um, Mar- 
Marvelous Floyd wants to know, when your favorite team keeps doing crappy things like my Atlanta Braves, how do you separate the crap from what you like? Good question, Floyd. Floyd, by the way, your team's doing nothing that I like. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Well, they've got some good players. I mean, they do have some good players, but... Yeah, they stole I, that franchise literally stole hundreds of millions of dollars from the taxpayers of the of Cobb County and the state of right. Atlanta for no reason. Their stadium was 20 years old. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> Think about that. Their stadium was 20 years old. They built it for the Olympics. The Olympics were right. just yes. there. It was oh. brand new for the Olympics in 1996, and they just were like, no, we're jamming this through. We're not having a vote. We're like it was. At, it's the most corrupt thing that any major league baseball team I think has ever done on mass for in terms of like a large scale project like this. I mean, it's so corrupt, it's insane. Like they they should be punished permanently. I'm I think there's a now. I'm gonna call it right now. There's a curse on that franchise. They, there is an absolute, and it started with their general manager being forced to resign for violating the international signing rules. It's going to continue. Their their team is going to suffer great misfortune for. Uh, let's say for 21 years because 21 years I <laughs> that's think right. right because it was the, it's the it's the time between when the the old stadium was built and the new stadium <laughs> opened that amount of time exactly will be there is a curse on the Braves franchise and nothing good will happen to them by the way we don't even know i mean they, they, we know that there was that that he committed some various uh uh the gm committed some you know various sundry you know violations uh, we don't even know what they are. I mean, they're bad enough that he resigned. They didn't even tell us what they were. They were just like, yeah, he's just gone. He's just gone. Yeah. He just you gone. Know, he was... left. He was like, no, I'm I'm guilty. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guilty of? No, 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 no. Even, I don't even want to talk about that. I don't even know. All right. Matt Kramer wants to know a question from Mike. If the Sox meet the Dodgers in the series, is any part of you rooting for your trader son's happiness over your own what percentage is it matt it's it's a jerk son it is not trader son that's right although i think i may have referred to him as a trader too no he's also a trader but yeah. he's it's jerk son it's is jerk the correct son. terminology um i have to say i've thought about this for obvious reasons you can't not think about it and sure. in part i've thought about it cuz my jerk son has been taunting me and saying like i hope the red sox meet the dodgers in the world series so I, yes, the answer is yes. Um, I have had great fortune in my life, sports-wise. Uh, I've talked about this a lot. My favorite team went uh, 86 years without winning a World Series and then won three in the span of nine years, really. Uh, and my favorite uh, football team won five Super Bowls, which is absurd. My favorite basketball team won an NBA championship. And I don't even care about hockey, but the hockey team from the city I root for also won a Stanley Cup. They it's also been, won, yeah. It's been absurd. It's ridiculous. Uh, it is a, a greater run of good fortune than any sports fan could ever dream of or hope for. It will never happen again. I, it's absurd. So that being said, my jerk son has chosen to root for the L.A. Dodgers. I have become a quasi-Dodger fan. I yes. find Again, I find a lot to like about the Dodgers. I think they're a very likable team. I am so pleased I get to watch Clayton Kershaw pitch because I believe that when all is said and done, he's going to be one of the five greatest, if not the oh, greatest yeah. pitcher who ever pitched in baseball. Totally great. Uh, I love Justin Turner. He's really fun. I love their young guys, Seager and Bellinger. They're really fun. They've got like five or six outfielders who are all really good. Um, so, uh, yes, I, 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 I've come to... And, and by the way, as I've said before, shared history of hating the Yankees. That's a huge thing, right? Sure. Uh, back in Brooklyn, the, the team hated the Yankees and, and had a, a similarly little brother feeling about the Yankees to the yes. Red Sox. 
Uh, and they're the team of Jackie Robinson, and it's impossible right. not to root for the team of Jackie Robinson. They are the the best, the uh, the most progressive franchise in history, basically. By and, far. and yeah, by, by far, and far. and will always be. Robinson. Yeah. Right, right. Right. So. Uh, and and by the way, when you go to the stadium, there are giant, uh, you know, murals of Jackie Robinson in these right, kind of right. wonderful places, and it's great. So, yes, the answer is yes. There is a part of me that would love to see the joy it would bring my jerk son to have his favorite <laughs> baseball team win a World Series. And and if they won, I would not feel at all really sad. I'm of course rooting for my team. And if the if my team won, I would be happy. But if they lost, I would not be sad. And that makes me feel like, in some weird cosmic mathematical way, I would actually be rooting for the Dodgers because yeah, that's right. Because it's you don't like want I your son sad. That's right. And my son's sadness at losing would not would be far deeper and more thorough than my happiness at winning a fourth World Series, especially in a year where the team kind of doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I I believe. I believe in in many ways I would actually be rooting for the Dodgers. Now I wouldn't be really in my soul. I would be sad if right. the Red Sox lost. But yes, the the answer is absolutely. Uh, I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope that I'm rooting for the Dodgers over a team I have no rooting interest in. Um, but yes, I uh, if that if it came to that, I would be a pro Dodger. Well, you know, and and of course I'm rooting for your son over you. That's not even close. Sure. But but more to the point, you mentioned this, and I think it it it, it merits a, a couple more seconds of, of of discussion. The the progressive history of the Dodgers is so overwhelming, and so cool. I mean, obviously there's Jackie Robinson. Everybody knows about that. They also signed the first black pitcher. Uh, they were the first team to have a you know, mostly African-American team on the field, five guys. Um, they hired and and have had ever since a Spanish-speaking announcer since like 1959, you know, which is incredible. Um, they are just an incredibly forward-thinking, progressive organization and have been forever. And it's not that there aren't things about the Dodgers that are horrifying. There are. Of course there are. But... Um, you know, I mean, if, if you're a neutral, just don't care. Um, and you, you know, happen to, you know, appreciate all of that. Uh, the Dodgers are a pretty good team to root for, I think. Yeah, I believe this was our main argument when we, one of our main arguments when we were trying when to we, convince we Linda Holmes. To get Linda to uh, team, yes, yeah. there is, uh, is, is, is the history of the team, comparatively speaking, uh, is pretty, is pretty good. You know, it's about as good as a, uh, a you know a institutional organization in you know major sports league could get. I think the Dodgers are, the Dodgers are pretty far up there, and certainly they're they're at the top, and the Red Sox are at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other part. That's, that's, the, the other, other that's part. another reason I can't be upset at my jerk son for betraying me. Is the Red Sox history is the most shameful, awful, and unpleasant. So I can't uh, really force him to to adopt that history of misery for himself. <laughs> We uh, we need to have Linda back on, by the way, too. Oh, to yeah. Well, to, we should do it before. See. Yes. Next, maybe next week, let's try to get her back next on. Week we should try to get Linda back on and talk about uh, what team she If uh, she chose she a chose. team and, and how it went. Absolutely. Matthew wants to know, for both of you, what is your most memorable childhood baseball moment? Mine's Ooh. easy and boring, but go ahead if, with yours. No, no. What is it? Go Mine is, uh, is I watched Game 6 of the 1986 World Series at the age of 11, in my dad's college roommate's house in Rye, New York. 
and was so happy because uh, I was about to watch the Red Sox win and then the ball went through Buckner's legs and I cried myself to sleep. And my mom, <laughs> by the way, my mom was like, my mom didn't care about baseball at all, but she tucked me in, in this bed in this strange house. And I was just weeping uncontrollably. And my mom was like, okay, this matters. Baseball matters in a way I didn't fully understand. I need to learn about baseball. And now she has become like a baseball fan because wow. her because she watched her son in in trauma and <laughs> decided that she needed to kind of understand it. So now she lives in the Boston area and she and my uh, little sister go to games a lot. Wow. Wow. Uh, of course, I had no such memory because Cleveland was never good enough for that. But... Um, <laughs> Assuming that we were talking about connection with, with major leagues and not our own baseball history, which I wouldn't have a, a great memory for that either. Um, it's probably uh, playing catch with Jack Brohammer. Uh, yeah. Which was really cool. He was, he was coming out and, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, we threw the ball back like three or four times. It wasn't like a really full, it wasn't a full like field of dreams, like catch, you know, but, but still Jack Brohammer, I will, I will always be uh I will always be honored and, and will always hold him in the highest of esteem because uh, I had a ball and a glove and he's like, hey, and, and I just threw the ball back and forth with Jack Brohammer. That's so awesome. That was, uh, that was really cool. That's better that than was mine. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yours, yours is really depressing and sad. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what is your favorite Tom Petty song? Ah, oh, there we go. That's oh, a good man. Uh, good one it's very sad tom petty uh passed away and uh we're both uh well who isn't who isn't a tom petty fan i, I mean, don't tom know Petty's so awesome uh, he he, so, he was one of my all-time favorites it, this really hit me hard yesterday uh yeah, and continues awful. to it's, it's just so sad i saw him at the he played at the hollywood bowl last weekend and i saw him there wow. and uh he was it was celebrating 40 years of the heartbreakers being together because they started in 76 77 uh, very, very, very sad, and the, it's uh, essentially impossible for me to answer that question. Um, I would say, oh, I mean, I, I, there, I, I have about fifty favorite Tom Petty songs. Sure. I, Time to sure. Move On is one of my favorites from the Wildflowers yeah. album. I yeah. think, uh, even though it's one of the most kind of famous songs, I think "Running Down a Dream" is uh, would have to be one of my favorites. Um, you don't know how it feels. It's so good. I mean, there's there's hundreds. There's literally hundreds. There's also some more obscure songs. There's a song called Billy the Kid that I just truly love. There's a Square One is a great song. Uh, Big Weekend. There's a, there's like, I mean, it, the the thing that makes him so kind of important to me is you can take any of his albums and randomly choose any song from any of the albums and it'll you'll be like, wow, that song's so good. It's really, well, it's a, an unbelievably consistent level of songwriting over 40 years. Well, he's the guy. I mean, obviously for me, it's Bruce also, but that's, but that's a whole, that's a personal feeling. I mean, there are others that wouldn't feel this way at all about Springsteen. He's a guy, I wouldn't call myself one of the top 10% Tom Petty fans. I'm probably in that second 25% love him, but I wouldn't, you know, I've seen him once in concert. I haven't seen him multiple times or anything like that. That said, he is the, probably the only artist I would say that I would literally just have his entire collection, put it on shuffle and listen. I don't, I don't need any order. I don't, there are no songs I would take out of the collection. I mean, that's, that's how good he is. I like walls. Uh, I, I put a, I put a, um, uh, a little lyric from walls, walls, number three walls circus. Um, 
I love that song. I, I just, I just it's great. absolutely love that song. And I think, by the way, Free Fallen, even though it's it's been completely, you know, played out in some ways, is a fantastic song. Just, just a great, it's incredible. Great song. It's an that's an incredible yeah. song. One of the amazing things about him is that his voice somehow is perfect for both, like Free Fallen and you know, American Girl. And right, it's like right. the, the no matter or and running down a dream and you know and yeah. wildflowers like his voice somehow was perfect for like gentler softer songs and also like really hard rocking songs. I don't know how it's I don't know any other singer who could sing essentially the same way with such a variety of tempo and and like you know hard rockiness. Uh, and still it was like, oh God, his voice sounds so great with this tune. Well, like you know? I was listening, of course I was listening, you know, yesterday to, to my, to my petty collection and, uh, there's the song and I'm, you know, I, again, not, not being a huge fan. It's what is it? It's something outer space from outer space. Some, I can't think of the name of that song. Um, he sounds like Dylan on it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's oh, just there's like, a lot it's like, of, oh, there's it, a lot of Dylan in him. Yeah. yeah. But I'm saying there are certain times that like he, he can like do Dylan and like Dylan is like one third of his like repertoire. You know what I mean? It's like, he's all right. I, now I sound like Dylan. Now I sound like, you know, like any of the best, you know, like the Rolling Stones. I mean, I could sound like any of the, the hardest rock guys. Um, and now I sound like Tom Petty just doing stuff that only Tom Petty can do. I mean, it's what a, what an incredible, incredible he was the best. Very, very sad. Really bummed me out. Yeah. Billy Pillsbury wants to know, how do you feel about fan graphs calling Aaron judge the least clutch player <laughs> on record? <laughs> I saw, I read that piece. You know, what's funny is I have, a, it was very funny. The fan graphs did. You can actually go and, and go to fan graphs. They have a story, uh, showing that he has been the least clutch player on record. Um, but here's what I'm going to say, and this is going to be controversial because obviously I, I don't want to say anything good about the Yankees. Uh, I, I think it's a bunch of baloney. I, I don't believe in cuts. I don't think. I think it just. I don't think that clutch player thing exists. Uh, I I don't want to just believe in it just because it makes Aaron Judge look bad or whatever. You know, it's just kind of a quirky, weird year where he didn't uh, he didn't particularly perform well with runners on base. I I don't I don't buy into it at all it's hard to imagine that a guy hit 52 home runs and wasn't clutch i mean it, it, because it's it's also this weird quirk of the the way that you calculate these things where it's like well if he hits a three-run homer in the second inning there's no need for any clutch behavior right because right. the team is up eight right. nothing after three so you know i i think i mean it's i get real. it it's not, I yeah, mean, the it's, numbers it, right are it's, they're not making yeah. it up i and and i get i right. no, and no. and by the way they understand the math and the sort of situations here better than we do but I, I I think that like it, it's not when you when you call a, a certain kind of hitting clutch it, it it implies that the other kind of hitting is less important and I'm not sure it is it it, it feels like if you are the um you know the the nineteen whatever it was the 1999 Indians and with that crazy lineup that had Tomei and Manny Ramirez and Kenny Lofton and Omar Vizquel and all those guys. Travis Fryman, you know, hitting ninth or whatever, uh, and you scored a thousand runs, and so you were up eleven to two after three innings. Like, I don't know, was anybody clutch in that lineup? Probably not, right? It's like, I mean, they, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but there were like nine guys who were just mashing the ball all over. Like, Will Cordero had like twenty home runs that year. So, I, I feel like uh, uh, I get it. I get, I understand it, and uh, and maybe there's some. 
Oh, and I enjoyed yeah, it. I thought it was, I, by the way, I enjoyed I thought it was that. funny, and I liked reading anything that said that Aaron Judge wasn't uh, like about to be the greatest uh, baseball player of all time. I'm all in on that. But I also feel like, um, you know, that I think that maybe there's if there's anything real about it to me that's repeatable or that is predictive of the future, it might be that he has a harder time picking up the ball if the guy's in the stretch or something like that, which might might be right. something no, to track. Right, no, no, I think and, there's... There- yeah, it's not, it's not, compl- yeah, it's not like it's, I don't think it's worthless or meaningless or anything. I just, I'm kind of like, yeah, all right, fine. He had 52 home runs. He, he's a monster. He walked 120 <laughs> times. He's 25 years old. I hate him so much. I want him to go away. <laughs> he will, he will haunt our dreams forever. All right. David wants to know, David Blackburn, there's a candy bowl in my office. How many miniature candies can I morally take at a time? And how often can I go back? Wait, in his own office or like, oh, I, I probably in some shared I, common I space, right? Shared office, maybe, yeah, the office. So we're thinking these are like the little bite-sized Snickers, bite-sized Milky Way, bite-sized Butterfinger kind of things? That would be my gimme. I don't They might have some hard candy in there too. But yeah, I would think that the chocolates from what he's saying. I would say morally, uh, depending on, first of all, this is assuming there's no actual rule posted, right? Like take one or whatever. We're assuming that. Right. I would say you can take two of them twice a day without thinking about it. And I think you could maybe get away with three times a day if you spread them out enough. If it were, if you want to go morning chocolate, you know, <laughs> nine o'clock chocolate, post lunch, and then, you know, 4.35 right, right at the end of the right day. The um, yeah. Something like I'm that. I'm going to be with you. I, I really feel like, look, if you push it and take like, uh, there's like a Hershey's Kiss and you take that as your third you might be able to get away with that like every so often. You can't do that every time. But I'm thinking, generally speaking, you can come away with six pieces of candy a day. I think you could, yeah. I, I mean, that, that's that's the on. that's the upper limit, though, you know? Yeah. And by the way, I think the key, I also think the key is that it, you can't take more than two in one moment because I think three feels, three feels gluttonous and it starts to feel like you are now probably on balance prohibiting other people from getting the candy they might want, right? If you're taking too much of it at a time, you need to let other people get in there when there's the full assortment of candy. So if you take, let's say you really like Snickers and Snickers is one of four different kinds of candy in that bowl. If you're taking three Snickers at some point, you're going to start to infringe upon other people's rights to get the candy that they might that's want. Right. No, that's right. So that's why I think two is the max you can take at any one. Well, at and any one grab. Now, now we're getting into a whole other topic, which is even if you can take two, can you take two of the same kind? You know, I mean, it, it yeah. really, I don't think you can. I don't think if you're going to be that gluttonous, which you know, hey, we're saying it's okay. Uh, I don't think you can cherry pick. I think I think you've got to you've you've got to take like a mediocre. Uh, you know, candy bar uh, to to just basically make up for your gluttony. I mean, I'm just... If there are four types of candy, I think you should personally, to be ethical about this, you should rank your favorites in order, one, two, three, four. And then you should say, every time I take two pieces of candy, I'm going to take one from the one, two uh, choice and one from the three, four choice. You know what I mean? No, that's right. That's exactly right. Glad we could get that squared away. All right, we have time for three more. Uh, Josh, uh, wants to know, and this is specific to the good place, uh, which I hope everybody is, is caught up. I mean, I'm not saying it's your responsibility, uh, but don't listen to us anymore. If you're not, um, (laughs) were Eleanor's feelings on clam chowder on NBC's good place 
really Michael's just Michael's one last meaningless thing entry. So, uh, <laughs> Eleanor, uh, on, on last week's good place, I can say without giving anything away, uh, definitely took a very hard shot at clam chowder. So I think, I think Josh would want to know where, where, where do you stand on clam chowder? I actually like yeah, clam chowder. You know what? I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of New England clam chowder. I am a hater of Manhattan. By the clam way, chowder. there is no Manhattan clam chowder. I'm, That's right. Manhattan clam chowder is fake. And, and by the way, I personally took a shot at Manhattan clam chowder in last year's <laughs> uh, Good Place season. Adam Scott, who played a demon, uh, was get was on the PA system on a train that was about to take uh, Kristen Bell's character to essentially hell. And he said, the dining car is in the back of the train. It serves only room temperature Manhattan clam chowder, and also it's closed. That was the joke. And and that was because I think Manhattan clam chowder is a crime against humanity. I like New England clam chowder a great deal. I think it's a wonderful winter uh, meal. Uh, and uh, that line, the, the two shots at at uh, New England clam chowder were taken by the writer of the episode, Megan Amram, who's a wonderful writer, very, very funny person. Follow her on Hilarious. Twitter at Megan Amram, hilarious person. She took two shots at uh, New England clam chowder. Uh, she called it a savory latte with bugs in it. Uh, and then she called it a uh, disgusting ocean milk with, with dead animal croutons or something. Um, and I didn't, uh, I thought they were very funny, so I left them in, but that is, those are not my I, feelings. I, I, I suppose they're probably hers. That's my feeling. By the way, uh, if you go, and, and, and I could not recommend more following uh, Megan, um, she she lists off all of the food puns that she yes. tried to get in. It's, it's, it is an astonishing piece of work. Yes, Megan loves puns. And she, <laughs> uh, in this episode that she wrote last week, which was the third episode of the season, um, I won't give anything away, but there was there's a section where you see a number of different versions of like food pun restaurants and <laughs> different food genres. And when Megan first wrote the script, she loves puns. When she first wrote the script, kind of as a joke, but kind of not as a joke, she included... Probably, I don't know, 200 it's or 300 astonishing puns. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and she, after the episode aired, you know, probably of them, I don't know, 15 of them were actually aired, which is too already too many. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, like what there was one, there was a, like there was a coffee place thing. One of the one of my favorites was Biscotti Pippin. That was a pretty good <laughs> my, one. My favorite was unquestionably Knish of a Rose. I mean, I, that's Knish from a Rose. Knish yeah, a that rose. was great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's. I mean, the, so she put on Twitter like a, a picture, a, a screen grab of like the full list, and it's pretty amazing. I, I've never met her. I, I want to desperately. She's a genius. All right, Elaine uh, wants to ask a question, and she has an explainer because the question itself might not make a lot of sense. Uh, but she has an explainer. Um, does Rob Gronkowski know who Harriet Tubman is? This question is tearing my family <laughs> apart. And, and now that makes no sense at all. Like, why would we care? <laughs> it's a great question, but it makes no sense. But she then explains, which is which, and her explainer makes everything make sense. Uh, our okay. wedding was a few months ago. Was at a women's museum. We named all tables after rad women, like Harriet Tubman and Leslie Nope. Great, but one was Gronk table. So now we debate endlessly which of the women he's heard of. I love that. I mean, I, I would need to know the full list. Um, no, but I think okay. the specific question is Harriet Tubman. First things first. No, he does <laughs> no, not know who Harriet Not a is. chance. Not, not, and there's not, there is a, okay. I wouldn't say there's, there's a mathematical certainty here. Right. But it's as close to a mathematical certainty as you could ever achieve. And there's exactly one chance that he knows who Harriet Tubman is. And that's if 
sometime in the last three days, somebody mentioned the name Harriet Tubman, and he said, who's Harriet Tubman? And then they explained it to him. And now if you asked him today, he would remember. That's the only way it's possible. I actually believe, I believe that if you said to him, who's Harriet Tubman? He would say, I don't know. Um, is she hot? Can I have her number? That would that would be what he would say. But if you said, if they said, no, Harry Tubman, the historical figure, and he said, who is that? And you explained who Harry Tubman is, there's there's a 5% chance he would go like, oh, yeah, I remember reading about yeah, Harry Tubman. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's right. Yeah. I, I, think that, I think that there's like a 5%, there's a 1 in 20 or 1 in 25 chance that if you painstakingly walked him <laughs> through the history of who Harry Tubman was, that he would go, oh, I remember that for me. Here, here's what I think is a mathematical certainty. You go up to uh, Gronk and you say, hey, you know what? I was just thinking about historical women, women who made a difference in this country. Who's, who's your favorite of those? Harriet Tubman would not come up. No, he would say Kesha. <laughs> That's right. Is his favorite historical figure. <laughs> then he would say. He would say Beyonce. Uh, Beyonce would be on his list, right? He might say Beyonce. Then he would say Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he would run out of steam. Then he would. Then the next eight people he mentioned would be dudes who are on his current football <laughs> team, <laughs> whose names sound like women. They, they, you know, yeah. that would be that would be right. Oh, Giselle. He would say Giselle because he knows who that <laughs> he does, is. He does know Giselle. <laughs> great question. He would name five, Elaine, that is, six Kardashians. Elaine, that's such yeah, a good I question. Mean, but but please don't let that become a family uh, strife because I don't. How is that tearing your family apart? Who's on the yes to Gronk? <laughs> Gronk knows who Harriet Tubman there's is. There's some Gronk supporter in that family, and just that person needs to be shouted down. No, no way. <laughs> All right, we're going to finish it up with Alan's excellent question. What is the most valuable cartoon character? Not the best, the most valuable. So the MVP of cartoon characters. Like the like uh, the highest war? I guess the highest war. I guess that's what we're talking about. Well, I mean, you know, some people go by war. Some people go by batting average. You know, this is, this is how it plays out. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a... I've got two in my mind that immediately came up. One is Bugs Bunny. I mean, I think Bugs Bunny is is a, an incredibly valuable cartoon character. Um, the other is Homer Simpson. I mean, those are the two that that, that immediately came to mind as potential MVPs uh, among cartoon characters. I see. I think Bugs Bugs has a very high usage rate, and I and I think it's there's a lot of misses with the hits. You know Ooh, what I mean? Like I, I, don't, I see. What you're I, that, I'm like I'm thinking about value in terms of like how like what what's his you know. How often is is his presence immediately valuable? Um, I think there's still a lot of bugs out there, man. I think it's. I think in that world, I would go with uh, Daffy Duck I over see. Bugs. Well, you could make the argument Daffy Duck makes people around him better in a way that that Bugs Bunny does not. Yeah, I would say it's Daffy Duck. Although Homer is kind of undeniable. Yeah. I mean, he's had Homer's had a he he's had the longevity of like. Craig Biggio's career, right, right? But the but the like hit rate and the value rate and the like power numbers of like of Willie Mays, you know, yeah. of Willie Mays. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's had like his he's, peak years are Willie Mays years, no question. Yeah, and and even the like non peak years are still pretty reliably valuable. I think it's got to be Homer, yeah. right? I think. He, I mean, I, I think, think Homer, Homer. I think Homer. I and I. By the way, having thought about it more, I I totally agree with you on the on the Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck. Uh, Conundrum, which I think a lot of people were, those were their two MVP candidates, and they were trying to decide which one to choose. And oh, all right, I, I think I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, again, reader, listeners, thank you for for those excellent questions. Now it's uh, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one. Last- 
I'll go first. I'll just I'll just get this out of the way. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and this is not this is this is a very quick thought. Um, I think in the history of American ingenuity, uh, cell phones uh, are the invention that most destroyed all movies uh, that came before them. All movies that came before the cell phone are completely useless now. Every conundrum that they go through in these movies could be solved with a cell phone almost always um you know it's like you go back to movies that they were made before cars and you're like oh you know yeah i mean obviously if you had a car it would be but there's a there's a clear understanding that that this was a time before cars it's hard to remember a time before cell phones so every time you're like oh my gosh i can't how are we going to let bob know that that the this is happening just call him on a cell phone um so i just i just feel cell phones have ruined for, for especially for my kids who who never knew a time before cell phones they see every movie we watched the other day we watched um double indemnity which is an incredible incredible movie um and there were about three or four times where you're like you know if there was a cell phone here this would not even be an issue at all so uh, yeah. So I think cell phones have ruined movies. Basically, there's a, in the movie uh, Collateral, starring uh, Tom Cruise and Jamie Fox. There, they it was right at the moment when cell phones were really kind of just completely saturating the world, and you could feel the strain with screenwriters trying to <laughs> make sense of how to do basic plots without where everyone could contact everyone all the time. And I, in my memory, I could be wrong by this, but in my memory, at two crucial moments where Jamie Foxx just needs to call the police and say, hey, something really bad is happening and yeah. I need your help. He takes out a cell phone and there's a close-up of the cell phone and it says, like, no signal. And there's <laughs> he's, like, in the middle of Los Angeles. Like, there's no That's reason. Awesome. There's absolutely no reason for it. But, it, but like, you could tell, like, in the old days, it was like, well, he couldn't, didn't have time to run to a phone booth. Right, but now it's like, booth. well, he's got a cell phone. So we have to do the thing where either this... And I feel like the, the thing the screenwriters got to too late is your cell phone got destroyed. Like right. your cell phone right. got the screen smashed. They got there too late. They would do, it's out of batteries, and we don't get a signal. But they <laughs> should have done much earlier. Like in the collateral, I'm sure to that point, something could have had, the phone could have fallen out of Jamie Foxx's pocket and gotten stepped on, and then he doesn't have a phone anymore. Well, and there, they, there's some drama with smashing of a, smell, of a cell phone. That's like, they're, they're, that's a dramatic moment, right? Right, right. They should also have got, by the way, Tom Cruise, who is a assassin in that movie, should have just taken his phone and smashed it with a hammer right. early on, then you wouldn't worry about it, right? Uh, no, it's true. It's, uh, it's very bad. It's, an, it's not great. Um, my one last meaningless thing uh, is is a little more meaningful than it should be in part oh. because mostly because I'm still reeling from Tom Petty's uh, passing away yesterday. Yes. It's really yes. bumming me out. And I just want to encourage everyone to go to the, the their computers and watch, if you have never seen it, watch. Um, there's a tribute to George Harrison from a couple from a few years ago, obviously, uh, where Tom Petty and some other musicians, some other heartbreakers, um, and uh, I think Steve Winwood and a couple other guys play while my guitar gently weeps. 
and it's oh, it's, it's it's now it's wonderful and poignant now for for multiple reasons. The first is that Tom Petty is leading is uh, takes the lead vocals on it, and he, it's just a wonderful. It's great to hear him sing that song in tribute to his friend George Harrison. It's obviously just a great song, and now seeing it, you know, somehow, you know, even though it's not a Tom Petty song, it really kind of gives me chills to watch him play that song. But the second thing is also poignantly and sadly, the Eric Clapton guitar solo on that song is recreated by Prince. Mm, and that's uh, right. Prince Prince walks onto the stage he at the moment on. that the guitar solo <laughs> happens and he rips a hole in the space-time continuum uh, with the greatest guitar solo you've ever seen. Um he at one point has choreographed it so that some some bodyguard of his is in is standing on the s- floor below the stage and Prince just turns around and falls backwards and is caught by his bodyguard. <laughs> while he's continuing to play the guitar, and then the bodyguard pushes him back up on the stage. And then at the end of it, I am not kidding, at the end of this insane solo, Prince takes his guitar off, lifts it up over his head, throws it up into the air, and it never comes down. (laughs) I don't understand it. I'm sure it's obviously a trick. I'm sure gravity didn't actually stop in that moment. I'm sure the guitar came down somewhere, but when you're watching it, he throws his guitar up in the air, and it just it seems to ascend to heaven. But and then, by the way, he just walks off the stage before just anyone... He just walks off. He's just gone. He walks on, he rips a hole in space and time, throws his guitar up to God, and walks off the stage in about two minutes. And uh, it's now... I mean, it's it's sad, right? We're at the time when these these kind of legendary musicians are, are passing away, and uh, they're no longer with us. But I'm so happy that that recording exists and that that video exists because now with Tom Petty dying, uh, it's now doubly poignant and wonderful at the same time. So that's yeah. my, that's my one, let's, let's call it a rare, uh, meaningful thing. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it's a rare, I th- and I think it's a good time for it. I think it's a good time for a rare, meaningful, uh, thing to end this meaningless thing. <laughs> I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's good. All right, Michael. Well, as always, thank you. And thanks for having me.